week, we spoke with the CEO of KC Care Health Center, Will Franklin, about how patients can access care through telehealth and how KC Care Health Center is operating during the COVID-19 pandemic. Franklin said there have been a lot of changes, but the goal for KC Care Health Center is to continue to provide quality care to the community. Telehealth service has been ramped up in response to the stay-at-home order, allowing individuals to see a doctor with their smartphone, computer, or tablet. Recently, KC Care Health Center, alongside Samuel Rogers Health Center, Swope Health Services, and other Missouri community health centers, received millions in COVID-19 response grant funding from the Department of Health and Human Services. What follows is a conversation with KC Care Health Center CEO Will Franklin regarding the grants and how KC Care continues to serve patients in the community. Congress passed the measure to fund billion to community health centers as an emergency measure mm-hmm. because um, U.S.-wide health centers were expected to, across the U.S. nationally, there's about uh, 1,361 health centers, and the projected revenue loss uh, between April and June was $3.2 billion, and they're projecting upwards of 85,000 layoff and no furloughs across community health centers, and they're there's 29 health centers in Missouri, and the projected revenue loss for just Missouri health centers was $87 million between April and June, and with a projected number of layoffs and furloughs to be over 2,000. Okay. So part of the challenge with community health centers is that you know, they're, they're dependent upon patient volume, right, mm-hmm. to, to be successful. And so but a lot of that revenue fall-off is due to... In a lot of cases, a 50% drop in volume. Can you explain that to me a little bit more? Because you would think more people would be going to the doctor in the middle of this trying to get testing and, like, wondering if they have it or, you know what I mean? Like, that would be my first thought. Right. Well, part of that is that a lot of preventative visits, a lot of what we do is chronic care management. We're taking care of individuals with significantly, you know, compromised immune systems and chronic illnesses. And the last thing we need is for those individuals to be venturing out of the public for routine care. So the other piece is that we've had to basically shut down dental services because of the aerosolized nature of that service line. Mm-hmm. And we've isolated it to one location, and it's only emergency dental that we can provide, and that's per the American Dental Association, because the risk of spreading COVID-19 virus is so high mm-hmm. with dental work. So none of the health centers can really operate their dental practices, but yet they're carrying higher dental staff in terms of a fixed cost. And we're going to need that dental staff whenever we resume operations because people, you know, even if we go three months like this, the reality is, is when you start seeing three to six months of people not getting preventative dental care, well, now you have a lot more dental problems. Yeah. None of the community health centers are able to really run their dental practices. We've been encouraged by the CDC and HRSA and everybody to minimize any preventative services as much as possible. And then not only that, but people are not coming in unless they're sick right now. So for instance, we have a high number of patients who are uh, diabetic. We serve, we're the largest HIV provider in the region. And the last thing we want is for our patients who are have HIV, their immune systems are already compromised. We don't want them coming into the health center. And 
sitting in waiting rooms and things like that where there's also potentially people who are sick. Okay. And so the volume drop is connected to a lot of preventative services that community health centers do, to dental services, uh, to a lot of other service lines that we do that we're really not able to offer right now per CDC guidelines. And so, you know, really the only OB care we're doing is for check-ins with moms, things like that, but we're really, what we can do from a procedure standpoint is really minimal. So right now, most of the volume that we do have is people who are have urgent care needs or we're only doing emergency dental procedures and uh, just okay. a few a day. And then we have to be really creative about when and how we schedule them because we're trying to conserve PPE equipment. Right. right? Okay. The other thing we're doing is we're trying to rotate provider teams in and out because the reality is, is we're going to have providers who get exposed and even if they never test positive, they have to quarantine for a certain amount of time as well. So, and health centers across the United States are doing this as well. So, um, now here at KC Care, what we've done is instead of having providers rotating out and not working, we're actually rotating them between telehealth and in-person type visits. Oh, gotcha. So we've, okay. so we've scaled up actually telehealth visits, and that's kind of the way we're trying to continue to provide services and, and bring volume back up because people are scared too. Mm-hmm, right. um, they're, they're worried, uh, especially we have a lot of patients who might be elderly, high blood pressure or cardiac disease, and they're nervous about coming to the health center. We filled a ton of scripts for three months in the month of March because people were literally trying to plan to not go anywhere. <laughs> and so for your preventative care, volumes are significantly down. Now we've scaled up telehealth to be able to meet some of that need. In two weeks, we've moved to almost 40% of our visits are telehealth visits. Now now some of that is also due to the fact that a lot of the rules and regulations around billing and reimbursement have been relaxed so that we can do that. Uh, I'm hoping on the other side of this that those rules actually stay that way because you know, being a community health center, a lot of our patients have challenges with transportation. Mm-hmm. And sometimes coming in for four visits and even in a 12-month time span is really difficult, you mm-hmm. know, because sometimes people are choosing to go to the doctor's office over other important needs. And so having the telehealth option, I think, would be a long-term gain in terms of access. So we're actually able to be even reimbursed as if it was an in-person visit right now. Oh, gotcha. Okay. So that helps with some volume and revenue, but I mean, the other piece on kind of how community health centers work is, you know, we're designed to treat individuals who are uninsured and underinsured, but we do that because of our reimbursement mechanisms, some of its grants. Usually the grants only cover, on average, across community health centers, about 20% of the cost. We count on being able to see Medicaid patients and privately insured patients, things like that, to cross-subsidize uninsured care. Okay. Right? Well, we've got huge spikes in unemployment right now. So the number of patients that we serve who are going to be uninsured are going to increase dramatically. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to actually scale up services probably in the coming months because those individuals who are newly unemployed are going to be able to go where they've probably gone in the past to get care with no insurance. So what that does is it stresses community health centers in the sense that 
we have diminishing resources and we're we're off refining fee scale, which that's what we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. But our funding is also dwindling. If we don't have equal number of Medicaid and or privately insured patients seeing us, then our balance starts to flip and we get upside down. So that's a lot of complicated information. But essentially what yeah. it boils down to is that a lot of this grant money is a short-term fix. Mm-hmm. I think it dramatically helps our acute issues because right now, the next three months, we are projecting to be probably close to a million dollars run in about a million dollar deficit. You know, for us, it's a huge step and it's critical that we get this kind of grant funding because in the short term, because it helps us keep running because we have fixed costs that stay the same no matter whether or not we bring in any revenue. By getting HHS grant dollars that are, it's more of a relief effort to offset the potential revenue shortfall that health centers are going to experience. And like I said, the revenue shortfall okay. is $3.2 yeah. They only awarded $1.3. So it's still going to be short across mm-hmm. the United States. For us, we're fairly good at writing grants and diversifying our revenue streams. Mm-hmm. So we've also taken, you know, as an organization, we've all taken a, a salary reduction over the next three months. Mm-hmm. Now we've tiered that so that those who make the least amount experience the least amount of impact, mainly your providers and managers, directors, and leadership that really are experiencing significant salary reduction. But okay. what the grant dollars do is enable us to, A, keep our services running despite decreased volume and allow, you know, I think as time goes on and we can better telehealth and we... Um, and maybe if we can start to get to a place where the recovered cases outnumber the new cases in the region, well, then we can start opening up some of our other service lines. Okay. So this grant dollars helps get us over that short-term hump, if you will. We've gotten also stabilization grants from local foundations, too, in the past couple of weeks to help make sure that we're staying, that our services are staying in line and that we're being able to make payroll and things like that because um, because of such a huge volume drop and impact to health center revenue. There was a separate COVID-19 grant, HHS grant, that we got for 70000 and that actually went to supply buildup, trying to, we still have a challenge in terms of supply chain management mm-hmm. where we want to purchase more PPE, but we just can't get it anywhere. Yeah. Also, kind of the things we'll cover with the larger grant is that you know, as we scale up telehealth services, we have increased technology costs as well. You know, on the high end, it can go as high as $2 a visit. We've been actually using multiple platforms and piloting different ones to see which ones work better okay. for patients. And then we're getting patient feedback and, and things like that. Some of them require us to send like a text or to call beforehand and and some are easier to manage. And so really we're trying to take patient feedback and figure out what, what works best for patients. And then we'll take that road, whatever that looks like. Gotcha. Okay. But, you know, you've got the increased, uh, you've got increased cost in terms of doing that and upgrades to your technology. And we're going to make sure that, you know, we're using uh, HIPAA compliant encrypted software uh, mm-hmm. and communication devices. And so there's an added layer to that. 
so we'll use some of the grant dollars to cover those things, but a lot of that grant dollar we also use to staff. Mm-hmm. And then also to, um, we have increased costs connected to PPE equipment. You know, we're running a separate respiratory clinic actually in the garage of our main location. When you're running a separate respiratory symptom clinic, you're taking a provider offline to do that. They may not be as busy down there right now, but they will be shortly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're trying to manage productivity as well across that. So a lot of the cost will help to, you know, do things like that and manage patient traffic and flow and workflow to make sure that you're also, you know, we're trying to budget for when, not if, our healthcare workforce numbers get exposed mm. to. You know, there's a lot of contingency A, B, and C planning the health centers are doing right now. And as we should, there's a lot of focus on the immediate need, which is probably more in acute care. However, what we're going to find is, you know, our job as a community health center is we're keeping a lot of people out of the hospital. And so by supporting community health centers and delivering primary care, you're helping to reduce the stress on the hospitals. And then you're also uh, trying to support as much of the care that can be delivered in the community to be done there. And so a lot of this HH grant is going to be expanding our services to meet the need for telehealth, but then also to any testing supplies, staff. And the reality is, is due to the spiking kind of unemployment numbers, we're we're probably going to see an increase of new patients who are uninsured. Yeah. Over, so we're trying to talk with you know our elected officials and the community here in Kansas City and the philanthropic community too about we need to be thinking not just ninety days, but we need to be thinking six months to a year, three years down the road because this is not just a ninety day issue. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be, and I'm concerned about all these individuals. Because when our volume drops, that means some really sick people are not coming to the doctor. So we're just concerned with the people not getting the preventative care for several months, just either being scared, and rightfully so, you know, yeah, right. You know what kind of stress long-term to the system are we going to create as well? That's true, um, because people are concerned about overwhelming the system right now but I didn't even think about you have these people that are not coming in getting this preventative care that everybody's gonna maybe (laughs) kind of come back like and then flood it for just stuff that they couldn't come in for previously right no I mean I think about just just the fact that we we're not providing any pediatric preventative dental care right now well pediatric oral health is one of the biggest predictors for long-term health outcomes you know and so so yeah i get concerned like how long are we going to go with that and what are the downstream implications for that so you said something just a moment ago um that i want to ask about real quick you said that the respiratory clinic currently right now was not really busy but it would be is that something that correlates with uh, what they're predicting as far as a peak time for COVID-19 in Kansas City? Right. So we've been trying to gear up expecting a surge in kind of respiratory complaints. So right now at all of our locations, we have people at the front door screening and then anyone that calls, we're screening those calls. And we're trying to divert any respiratory symptom issues to either telehealth and also if they're coming in to the health center 
to that respiratory kind of temporary clinic. Okay. Um, we set up modular structures down there. So we've got, you know, modular structures set up to the exam rooms and we run all the equipment out there and that way we can also conserve PPE okay. because the providers who work there can be geared up. Um, so we've been expecting a surge and right now I say it's not busy. It's not busy relative to the other providers. But I know that when I've been through there recently, you know, the first day we haven't opened, they only saw a few patients, but we're seeing a steady stream now come through. And like I said, it's it's not super busy, but it's getting busier. And our challenge is going to be is can we keep up with uh, the the reality is we're having to treat people as if they have COVID-19, but not be able to test because we don't really have mass testing supplies. Yeah. So what is the protocol right now for testing? I mean, do they have to exhibit, like, X amount of symptoms before you get a test, or what does that look like? Right. So we kind of have it tiered. and So tier one is kind of healthcare workforce that maybe has been exposed. We want to make sure, because they have the possibility to spread it to a lot of other people. Um, So we want to make sure and test them. Secondly, we're testing people who are kind of in an at-risk category. Maybe they have a compromised immune system because of some other chronic illness and they have symptoms. They have respiratory symptoms. We want to test and make sure that identify those individuals. Um, and then we're moving down towards people who are having active respiratory symptoms. And then moving towards then those who are at risk but maybe not have active. So we have kind of a a tiered structure on how we're trying to use the test and even the lab companies are kind of rationing them out to us. Now, when we first started testing, we weren't getting results back for like seven, eight days, but the last few tests we've run, we've gotten back in somewhere in the neighborhood of 48 to 72 hours. So it's getting, it's improving drastically. It's a a viral agent that they're testing with and they're looking for a reaction specific to COVID-19, but you can get a positive result diagnosed COVID-19. You know, you really, right now, we're treating for symptoms. There's, you know, we don't necessarily have a cure mm-hmm. or anything that can molecularly, I know that it's similar to structure the common cold, you yeah. know, and so yeah. you're really doing a lot of symptom management. I think part of the challenge, though, right now is that the virus has like a basic reproductive rate of four, which means that one person is infecting four other people every time they infect someone. Oh, wow. And those four are infecting the four other people. So in a matter of six weeks, one person can infect almost a million, can be the source for almost a million infections. And so that's where the social distancing comes in. Right. We're trying to not be a vector, if you will, because right now it's estimated that four of five infections is spread by people who are asymptomatic mm-hmm. and having no symptoms, right? So there are plenty of people walking around who have no symptoms, they're not sick, but they're carrying the virus. And so, you know, right now in our clinical areas, everybody's masked up just as a precautionary measure. But, you know, that's why, you know, we're telling patients when they're calling in, hey, let's call, let's do a telehealth visit first, right? Because, you know, we understand that a lot of our patients have chronic health issues, and unless they're needing to come in because they need some uh, a wounded care or uh, post-surgical follow-ups or things like that, we're trying to encourage people to use telehealth just to 
reduced any infection risk mm-hmm. across. We've been trying to manage using technology to to manage uh, pharmacy waiting so that people don't stand in the hallway in a clinical area yeah. waiting for pharmacy. <laughs> right, right. So. Um, as a community, I know like you were receiving this great money but like you said it still falls short of what you guys really need so um i mean as a community what can can we do to support to support you guys sure, we, well you know the the local philanthropy community has stepped up already pretty significantly health forward foundation the reach healthcare foundation the Haw Family Foundation, they've all provided some stabilization grant dollars. And then we've also started a kind of specific COVID-19 um, fundraising campaign. And, you know, right now you can go to like Facebook or LinkedIn and there's Casey uh, Cares page and it'll direct you to, and then there's a text um, to give number there. And, you know, we're doing that as a separate thing. And then it was, um, Last week, Pride Cleaners and Goodwill of Missouri and Kansas showed up with a truck full of scrubs and cloth PPE oh, wow. for our staff, and that's huge, you know. So, you know, it's amazing when you look around. I, I feel like uh, I think we're going to be all right coming through this because um, local communities are really stepping up, I think, to fill the gap. Yeah. You know, it's, it's amazing to see people be resourceful right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really impressed with our team's ability to convert to telehealth and go from 2% to 40% in just two weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so even like, so the, I know you'd ask specifically about the Northeast location. We've got a provider uh, there. So we're still seeing patients there uh, right now, but we're screening. And then, but we've also got a provider at that location who's just doing nothing but telehealth. Gotcha. Uh, okay as well okay and then the nice thing the one of the the good things about the rules being relaxed is previously we could not see a new patient via telehealth they had to only be they had to be an established patient mm, okay um that new patient visit had to to be in person but they're allowing us to bill for new patient visits via telehealth now which is huge this could be a really good resource if you if it's able to be continued after this because i agree i think it's gonna really um i think it's gonna really be something that patients will want because we Mm -hmm. have so many patients who have transportation problems right and we're constantly trying to deal with giving out bus passes and uber lyft and all that kind of stuff and if we could you know if those individuals could come in once or twice a year and then still be managed on some medications and on telehealth, well, you know, quality of life goes up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're not making choices between going to the doctor and doing other things. So. Yeah, and especially when you Huge. think of, like, um, an insured or underinsured communities. I mean, you're dealing with, you know, like maybe someone – like myself who's a single parent and who might have to take a kid with them or make a decision right. between work and a doctor which is right horrible and and the majority of our patients even the uninsured patients work i mean they're a service industry mm-hmm. um and most of them work three or four part-time jobs yeah and so part of it is scheduling too you know and and maybe i could come on thursday at three 
but I have a shift that starts at four mm-hmm. the restaurant right. or wherever and um, so having these options I think really expands access and allows us to provide quality care and do in different ways. And that was KC Care Health Center CEO Will Franklin. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Northeast Newscast. I'm Elizabeth Orozco.